Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. The Museum of Soho, a virtual museum which wants to get physical, really physical. Hello, welcome to the Museum of Soho. I'm Des Birkinshaw, and today it's my great privilege to chat with the director of a new documentary, Our Kings, directed by our guest, Cathy Hassan. Um, this, and to, to be fair, we've had um, a few drag queens on the Museum of Soho, but this is probably what we're going to talk about. Uh, not so many drag kings. So it's also a pleasure to introduce our other guest, Shay, uh, also known as Shardizi Aphrodisiac. Yes, hello. So well, shall I call you Shay for this? Am I okay with Shay for the programme? Uh, Shard, Shardell, Shardeasy, whatever you fancy. Shard, I'm going to say Shardeasy because yes. that's so cool, right? Okay, <laughs> so welcome to you both. Thank you. I'll just also add that Shardeasy is associate producer. Oh, okay. So on top of being a performer, an artist, she's also come on board and is an integral part of the whole project. So thank you. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to kick off. So it's 2022, right? Definitions are everything. You know, but so for, for for the uninitiated, what is a drag king? That's a broad question. <laughs> I mean, in the simplest form, um, if you think of what a drag queen is, it's pretty much the binary of that. But um, in a much broader form, um, a drag king is basically just kind of an expression of masculinity. Um, and that can take a form of kind of like humour, satire, appreciation, um, and just kind of... a a general just celebration of kind of like the maskness that exists in, within the uh, within the queer community as well. Um, what was your drag journey? You know, what, you know, a, a horrible question because it probably it goes. It, where does it start, and how did you get here? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's quite short. Um, I started. <clears throat> I started maybe a year and a half ago. Um, but it pretty much went zero to 100 very quickly um, and just has been a bit of a whirlwind since. Um, as soon as I like was the first time on stage, I just knew that I was obsessed with it. And it's been like a really integral part of kind of like my own personal journey with myself and my identity and, um, you know, just also just being able to completely immerse within kind of like the queer community as well. So, yeah, it's been... It's definitely been a bit of a game changer. I'm always interested in the trapdoor moment. So one day you're you, and then the next day you decide you're going to get up on stage. So what's that? What's that? Uh, you know, impetus. What happened? Well, within just yeah. becoming a different person. Yeah. Well, why did you decide to get up on stage? I mean, you know, something happens there, right? So you said you've had a short journey. So for most of your life, you've been one thing, and now you're something else. So what's that transition moment? What happened? Yeah, I think. Um, my so I have a drag mum uh, called Laurie May, um, and I've known her for years. 
and I just used to always kind of every time have some drinks get a bit tipsy and <laughs> and complain about um wanting to be on the stage and wanting to do drag but just never did anything about it so she kind of just got my ass in gear and was like you're gonna do it um and basically kind of forced me to do it for the first time yeah so someone literally just booted me onto the stage and it was pretty yeah it's pretty much game over then and um Kathy what what made you uh, want to make this film what was your impetus so i um i mean i'm i'm, I'm always curious about the 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 whole um perform performing performing and and language and costumes and so forth but actually what brought me to it was i i was working on another documentary which i'm still in development and it's on the theme of comedy humor and I had approached a drag king who was hosting this um, a show um, a couple of years. Well, last year wasn't it? Twenty twenty one, drag king competition in um, in in Dalston. And I went down there, multi camera crew, and it was just fascinating just watching uh, these people perform, um, but also just breaking down what masculinity is in a visual. And, you know, sense the attitude, the postures. Uh, it was just fascinating, you know. Um, and then just out of that, I sort of thought, I wanted to learn. I wanted to find out more for myself, be curious as well. And uh, it's such a beautiful topic because it's got, you know, it's got the entertainment aspect. It's got social issues. It's got breaking down what masculinity, what femininity is. It's challenging the society, society's mores, myths. It's also addressing misinformation. And for me, that's pretty key in a lot of the work that I do. Um, and so that's what brought me to that. So I'd gone there and then I met Shay there and then just started, you know, having more conversations and then just getting more and more into it and uh, basically it's brought me to where it is now and we've cut a teaser which has been very well re received uh, it was screened as part of um, Pride Month in Brighton at the Phoenix um, I'm really a thoroughly enjoyed working with Shay as well because that's an integral part of you know when you do these things uh, a team that comes together and everyone else also that's contributed to it it's opened up the subject to a much wider audience which is exactly what I'm trying to do with this um, and that's pretty much where I'm at now. I hadn't given it a second thought in all my life so it's quite interesting watching your teaser you know from that point of view it's just it's not really in our culture is it so you know drag queens are i mean you make the point at the beginning of the teaser you know like you know it's good that drag race is out there but it's it's one specific thing yeah so you know t give give us both of you what why why drag race is an ambivalent thing well i think first and foremost we have to understand um and this would obviously entail going back into the history of of drag and we're looking at it from uh, the us and the uk and um, what, one thing that's very fascinating is uh, the origins of drag and drag performance. But if we look at RuPaul's um, platform, you know, we are essentially talking about a, a, a drag queen. It's male dominated. There's a lot of money that's thrown at it. Um, we are living at a particular time, which is great that drag performers are not just getting visibility, but they're also earning. They're able to earn, they're able to, you know, earn good salaries and be paid and be recognised, which is great because we all know about what the struggle has entailed, you know, be it financial or personal or political. But at the same time, we know the way women are treated. And so that's something that I wanted to explore more and using the drag platform, Drag Kings, 
look into the inequality and also the positioning. I think positioning and visibility is very, very important. You know, there's a, a clear line of uh, disadvantage between um, those who are coming from, you know, African, African-Caribbean background versus um, European. Uh, and that addresses, that opens up all the social ills that we already know about. The only difference is we've taken it into the context of drag and obviously RuPaul's um, presence within this whole story, this narrative is key because it's about the same problems that um, women and men experience are the same problems that are taken into the drag scene. Uh, inequality, uh, racism, um, sexism, misogyny, <laughs> everything. Uh, access to healthcare. You know, the theme of access to healthcare is is a very important one now. We've seen with the pandemic, it's literally just thrown up everything in the air. And we're talking about, you know, uh, the inequality um, and privilege and who has access to what. Uh, so when we talk about, you know, in the drag scene, uh, for example, or even just LGBTQ people, you know, who've got disabilities, how much access to space do they have? OK, so you widen that topic and you look at it within the drag king, then you're talking about... Um, how much access and what sort of access and how they're treated, uh, people of colour who um, operate within a drag scene. So, Yeah, I guess kind of bringing it back to drag race, <clears throat> essentially what we're looking at is a platform that has, on one hand, put propelled drag into the mainstream. So, you know, we can kind of say, OK, thanks but also the drag that they've perpetuated that they've kind of propelled into the mainstream is perpetuating essentially the marginalizing or the marginalization of women afab people trans people um because not only is that is only accessible to cis men I mean, now there's um, trans women included. It's still very exclusionary to kings. Um, but also, not only do they not do we not have access to that platform, but because there is no competing, I guess, um, platforms to show what drag is, people that aren't directly within the drag community have a misconception of what drag is. So when you, you can go out to a brunch or a Hindu or any any one of these places um, and a queen will walk around and everyone will be celebrating and validating the queen because they know what who they are and what they do. But a king can do the same play, thing and people are confused and don't understand what they're seeing because... People, people like have no point of reference. You don't see kings in any mainstream media. You don't see kings anywhere apart from these underground like venues, because there's no access. Um, we don't have access to anywhere else. And when I say kings, I mean kings and things as well. So anyone that isn't within um, that grouping of being a cis male queen, typically will not have access to the same places and therefore don't have the ex the same level of exposure. So have you have you ever have you done like a head count how many people we're we talking about though are actively, you know, kings then? There's loads. There's there's loads of us. You can't do um I guess you can't really do a head count because they're they're everywhere. But it doesn't seem that way because 
we, a lot of the time, even like even on just getting on lineups in the you know the smaller like level events mm. um, that are on, it'll be there's a lot of tokenism. So you'll have one king. <laughs> we there's a joke among like um, kings of color because we'll never be on the same lineup together, so we don't get to see each, uh, each other often because I'll either have someone of color to represent or a king to represent. So to have two kings of colour on the lineup is quite rare because we're not needed because people like just need to kind of tick box what they're getting on a lineup. And to be honest, I like I in my short time I've seen I've seen a difference and I've seen like people doing less performative action and real like actually inclusivity. But um, yeah, it's like. There are so there's so many talented kings. I can't express it how much like because obviously kings have to work harder, do more to get the same level of recognition, um, and the same and the same level of validation as queens. So um, so yeah, tons of them just don't get to see them. Just don't have the same exposure. I think also um, just back to um, drag race. Um, it's a great vehicle also to kind of uh, unpack um, uh, some of the myths and the stereotypes that's going on. So I, I, I have this uh, saying whereby everybody wants to be Beyonce. So, you know, every man or who identifies as male goes on there and, you know, it's big hair, big tits or, you know, Dolly Parton. And it's just a grotesque caricature of what being a woman is, isn't it? You know, and it's so I thought that would be a great way for us to dissect because ultimately that's what also drag kings are doing they're looking at you know uh, representation uh, mm -hmm. toxicity male misogyny you know all of those and it's actually done in a much more uh, interesting seductive and 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 almost more easily uh, palatable way because uh, it's subtle um, i find that what we get with drag race and what we do get with um Queens is it's all grotesque it's all bombastic you yeah. know it's all caricature um, I mean yeah some do it respectfully yeah. some do it as like a love letter or appreciation yeah. to um yeah. to women yeah. some are not the same so and it's also some again, that is it's also unpacking mocking. what is mocking debasing mm. Uh, yeah. The debasement of of black women as well, uh, which is some of the issues. Yeah, and also um, using the the mannerisms and uh, you know the, the ghetto fabulous, and you know monetizing that, but actually not giving a salute and an acknowledgement to where it's coming from. You know, it's popular culture. It's a lot of it's African American popular culture, and this is what drag king does. It will go into all of these topics. Um, and which makes it very rich, very packed with a lot to think, go away and think about. I mean, most people who've seen the teaser have, or, you know, in part of our audience development approach is to get feedback, and they've all said, I want to hear more. And ultimately, that's what brought me to it. I want to hear more. Lots to unpack. Um, we should play some music, actually, because we've got to get a couple of tracks in for things. So I've, uh, you, you chose um, uh, Teardrops by Massive Attack. Why, why, why that song? What's that mean to you? Music is, is visceral, it's very personal. It's uh, it's just too much to, to talk about right now, but I just absolutely love it. There are certain songs that just elevate me. They're just, if God is there, they bring me closer to God. <laughs> so I just absolutely, that song just means so much to me in a very physical way as well. But it's just, uh, I love Massive Attack as well. I think they're just wonderful.
That was Teardrop by Massive Attack. A weird thing. That was uh, li- li- Elizabeth Fraser, who, who sings and kind of wrote the lyrics of that, wrote that the lyrics about her relationship with Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was at the Times, um, I, I was sitting there one night and I got a phone call from Mississippi. Well, I don't know why Mississippi keeps turning up in my my uh, backstory. <laughs> and uh, and apparently uh, I, I I was sitting there, it was midnight, and, and I got the call saying Jeff Buckley had gone overboard in, in the Mississippi and was, you know, got missing. And uh, I ended up having to speak to this um, guy. They said, oh, you speak to the police captain. So I called him. And uh, he was still on the boat looking for the body at the time. It was quite weird. Anyway, that was a complete side issue. <laughs> right. Because um, the thing that came out, obviously, was that the film, for me, was about self-expression and everything. And, and, and you revealed some real characters there, you know. So um, on the teaser, people aren't named, so I'm going to have to just ask you, who, who was your favourite out of the people who come across? You know, what are the kind of story, favourite stories that came out of, you know, this? Because there were some beautiful ones in there. I love the... the um, the asexual lady, you know, who and, and how moved she was, you know, talking about it. It was really quite moving. And um, I just wondered, you know, what your personal favourite was and why. You know, when, when I do documentaries and have several contributors uh, on board, I often get asked that question. I don't really have a favourite. You're supposed to say me. Um, no. <laughs> What's the one that made you cry in the edit? Because that's, that always happens to me when I'm editing films. I mean, all of them are just so fascinating. There was, there was a, uh, there was, I suppose, as a as capturing these stories and as a, a director and producer, a sense of responsibility, which would be to father and son. Yeah. Because um, that got they broke down, and I found myself in a position whereby um, we can stop this. You know, because uh, I do have. I, I want people who do participate, take part, contribute to whatever piece of work I do, that they feel okay. I really don't want. You know, it's a fine line between. You know, how much are you exploiting or sensationalizing? You know, we have a lot of control. We take this material. I mean, this material can be given to you yourself as a direct editor, and you'll come up with something else. You know, the editing process is fascinating because it is also about what you want to reveal, and you know, you can manipulate do a lot of manipulation with editing, and really change the narrative, and distort it quite often, um, which we've seen, you know, for many stories coming out of different communities, and control. Um, but I think that was quite intense is not right, the right word, but I did feel a sense of responsibility. And even still today, and, you know, regardless what people sign, you know, it, you know, things are very different now. And, you know, when somebody reveals to you that, you know, they're bipolar, they've got, you know, what do you do with this information? And they tell you they're still OK, you know, they're happy to continue. They find the whole process quite cathartic and a relief to be part of it. But you still feel responsible. And there's always a comeback, you know, so I still have that in the back of my mind. So I would say everyone's what they've contributed is fascinating. And remember, this is just a teaser. So we've got hours and hours and hours and hours yeah. of themes that we've not addressed. It's, and that's difficult because, you know, I want to talk about this particular theme. But, oh, there's also this other theme. And I'm mindful of the audience as well, how much they're going to be able to take and still keep the entertainment element in there. But I would unpack. say, yeah, I would say, um, you know, discovering prosthetic willies and uh, finding out how <laughs> pretty close they are to the real thing. That was an eye opener. And uh, it was quite nice. Yeah, <laughs> felt quite nice. And understanding, so did you enjoy it? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole market out there. And um, 
the, yeah. old, the older I get and the colder it gets, I might be in the market myself. You know, do you know what I mean? Is well, that... I think we might have another topic <laughs> no. there. We, we could look into we that, We've got references we? for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've certainly got quite a few links. And, as long as it comes and, with the tube of super glue. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd be keen to know which colour cells, or which is the most popular. I mean, I can make my own <laughs> yes, assumptions. Um, yeah, to kind of add to that, um, I think it's really hard to pick someone just because everyone had something so unique that they brought to it. So um, Kathy was speaking about arthritis and Dr. Cox Genital Pox, um, who had that incredible kind of like moment together where I think they actually found out a lot about each other and themselves during that process, which is like beautiful to watch. Um, Romeo Dela Cruz like had this um, kind of incredible story to tell and they're so in touch with like their vulnerability and, um, and also like their connection to the community is like super profound. Syro, who's my drag dad, um, has this amazing like journey with um, not only their gender identity but like their black, their black and Persian heritage, um, and also how like I think they describe it as a love letter to their um, to their like father and like kind of like their black relatives in their life. Um, Sorry, I realise I'm just going through them all now. But well, it does give you a sense of who's in. Yeah. Because obviously the listeners haven't of actually think. Oh, so, okay. so I think so, that's absolutely fine, isn't it? So. Um, and then um, Siggy Moonlight. Um, is, a great name. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be um, Has, like, their dragon's so intelligent and you get an insight into that because what they're actually doing is taking, like, their admiration for their own heritage um, but then putting, like, this satirical spin on it and... It's done so beautifully that you'll be crying with laughter, but you also have, like, such a love and admiration that they're expressing, um, you know, with themselves. Um, have I forgotten anyone? I, I have to say that I've, I've been very fortunate to, uh, and with Shay's help as well, to be able to assemble such a diverse... And, but so rich and, and very generous. All of them are really generous in sharing their stories. And, you know, uh, Romeo comes from it from a point of uh, really has thought hard about everything. There's a kind of a slight academic slant to everything and just, just shares, but also comes from a family that's been very supportive of their journey. Um, and then you have got uh, mother and daughter who perform as father and son, and that's been completely the opposite. And that was quite tricky because they often made reference to members of family, which, you know, to be fair, I, I was in no position to include them. You know, we were bordering slightly on what you might consider a slander. You know, there's, that's what I'm saying. There's a fine line. And mm -hmm. I suppose that's the one time when I was like, OK, I've got to be thinking, take the emotions, because we all get emotionally involved in this, but actually just think from a legal and a practical point of view. And then we've got Siggy, who's just... I, I suppose Siggy would be the one, because me, myself and Siggy, we started talking about, you know, um, the Chinese dubbed films. And uh, there was a... I'm very much into film. I love, I love film. I love the whole art form of film and, and film from all parts of the world. But what I found with Siggy is the conversations could carry on because we just got immersed in, you know, badly dubbed 
Chinese films and the stereotypes of Chinese people in the US and uh, it had a real filmic content to it and content excuse me and so that took me into a, a whole different uh, arena but as I say all of them were just so I, I think I was very lucky and this is also a testament to London because one mm. of the things uh, when I approached this subject was to look at uh, the space and uh, movement of drag, but also in relation to location, place-based. Because what you can do in London and Brighton, you can't do that in Hull. Not even in Brighton, when you think about it. Brighton well, Brighton's is quite particular as well, quite particular. Or even in Soho, because, you know, we have discussions about Soho yeah. and how... I was going to bring it up later. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but place-based is really important. Because we take that for granted. I'm a Londoner. London for me, I absolutely, London is, I've lived many places in the world, but for me, it is the best. But there's a lot that we're losing away from it, that sense of freedom. And I think, you know, quite a few drag uh, performers will be able to testify to that. And this, because most of these also, they're talking about performing in London. I mean, Romeo does perform, um, you know, outside, and we've discussed. Um, the issues around, you know, performing in some, you know, mm. Middle England small town and the hostility and the racism and the that goes with it, um, and and, and misunderstanding. A lot of it's out, homophobia and a lot of it's out of ignorance and fear and 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 you know media sensationalising and you know wanting to know more about the physical or trans. You know how often I've been so oh, are they you know they're going through a period of trans and it's like there's a little bit more to this. Okay, it's not just about the physical side mm. it's much more it's much more complex and it's much more beautiful one of the things that i was i'm curious about is that that moment where you you come out as a drag king you know how did that go in your wider circle so there must have been levels so you, 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 the people who kind of you know would expect you to do it or, or kind of suspected you might out you know the ripples go you know what was that like <laughs> Um, I think I think I've just been extra so like my whole life so I don't even think like I think you know there was more a surprise when I um kind of ended up coming out about my sexuality but when I said I was going to be a drag king I think people were like yeah like that, that seems like, even my nan like she she was like one of my like best fans um yeah, she, no, I've, I don't think anyone even butt an eyelid about it. I was just like, I think it just seemed very normal that that's what I, I would be doing. That, <laughs> might, that might be a function of London as well, you know. Because, it, yeah. You know, even, no, no, seriously, because I think even families here are different, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not some kind of, it's not it's not the creative people in London yeah. who are different. Londoners are different, you know, because yeah. we, we expect it, you know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think initially it was just like, oh, it's a bit of a, fun hobby and I, th I I think I was quite lucky um but I also I don't know if necessarily people um in like my life kind of understand I think it might just be seen as a hobby but for me I think it's so much more and that's maybe something that um I haven't necessarily had huge discussions about with people just because I don't know what I don't understand it's like kind of opened up Pandora's box for me. So I'm unpacking a lot of stuff about myself. So maybe I still, I think the gravity of what drag is doing for me um, and what it actually means to me might not necessarily be understood. And that's not their fault because that's just not a narrative that I've been having with people yet. But yeah, <laughs> still, still got that to come, can't wait. 
So I should ask you then, Shardizi, you know, to choose a track. So, um, so Shardizi's shortened to Shay and you've chosen a track called Shade. So there's a lot of shh going on here. But who's this by and why have you chosen it? Um, it's by IAMDBB. Um, they're just like, she's just a beautiful artist um, and like very much with this like kind of neo-soul um, vibes. And yeah, just, I just like the song. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm Daddy Babe. Yeah, yeah. Bad bitch, no underwear. 2020, gon' pull up an egg, yeah. Bitch, I know where you can go home. Uber, Uber everywhere, yeah. Take my bitch everywhere. We be getting money everywhere, yeah. So it was IMDBB and Shade. So one of the kings in the film uh, says that coming into the queer scene, um, they've been allowed to have, you know, um, a very interesting dialogue with their ethnicity. And um, I wonder, what do you think they meant by that? So Ziggy, who is fascinating, um, and and in terms of um, what they've discovered, um, a bit like what Shay's saying, you know, this is a journey and uh, discovering, is actually um, British, British born and... Uh, British uh, has lived all her life in Britain as well, but her mother, their their mother, beg your pardon, must get her pronouns right. Their mother is German, and father is Malay Chinese, um, and therefore has been able to address their ethnicity and um, not just from their own kind of journey, but how they're perceived as well. Um, I don't want to give too much because within the documentary, it's a, it's a topic that Siggy discusses in depth, and we look, we explore that topic as well, ethnicity through film, and performance, and caricature, um, and also um, highlights that we we know very little about whether it's Malay, or the Chinese community, uh, and 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 arts and what it means to them, and I think that's what Siggy's brought to this, and I certainly. Um, taking that topic and really delved into it um, in a really entertaining, very informative and insightful way. Mm. I, again, I, I, where were you shooting all the the uh, performance elements of it? Because it looks like you've been around on this one. So it's a combination of um, one of the main things in terms of the style was I wanted to, when I spoke to Shay about my approach, was to ensure that uh, everyone is filmed in their home so that was quite specific. And uh, and again, they were very generous and allowed me to go into their home and film them because that would, you know, talks about their personality, talks about who they are, plays them. And then um, there are a couple, and as I'm going along developing, I will be filming um, them performing. Uh, Shay, that was a performance that was filmed. And also there's a combination of archival material, mm. which gives it that energy as well because um, that makes it quite unique. You know, um, some are performing in you know, big venues and others are performing in much smaller venues and uh, we quite like the intimacy, and I've heard, but also the audience, also the participation element. So it's, an, it's a nice mixture, which I think with these type of documentaries, you need to do that anyway. Um, it's not one of those where I'm following, you know, in the lives of these characters. Um, I just don't have that sort of budget and that's not the approach that I brought to it. Um, how is it being funded and where is it going out? What's the aim? What's so regarding the funding, so I put this teaser together. So um, that pretty much is money from my hustle and hustle and hustle. Um, so it's basically uh, self-funded. The idea is to put the teaser and then use that uh, for more to get funding, to develop it and push it out there to a wider audience. 
It's, it's a nightmare, that isn't it? I, I I actually stopped making programs because I got so bored with that process. I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. I went. I was at the BBC and ITV and stuff like that, and uh, you, do, you do all that, and then you go freelance and you have a couple of things get on or something. But it's yeah. it's a continual process. So you. Uh, it's soul destroying. It's, it's soul destroying. destroying. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, the word. Time, that's the word. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. It's soul destroying and it's really exhausting as well because I have to constantly have to you you know yourself. You wear different hats anyway, but then you've got to just find ways and get very creative and resourceful and find the money. My intention with this though now is to certainly make it part of a wider conversation. Uh, so mm. we're looking at inequalities within the LGBT uh, community. So looking at partnering up organisations that will come on board and use this as also an educational piece. Because um, what, what's rich about this is it's, it's very informative about their journeys, but also mm. trying to address some of the misconceptions out there. Well, I hope you get the the full works done. But I was going to say, actually, kind of almost stands alone anyway. As it, it, it because, like I say, even for someone like me, I'm not exactly. I'm not exactly, uh, what's the word, um, innocent uh, of the world, but, you know, it's still opening my eyes. And so, you know, for a wide audience, I mean, that's, a, is, as I say, educational tool, you know. And entertaining. And entertaining, entertaining yeah. yeah. My first experience, proper experience, I mean, if you, if you go back to interviewing Danny LaRue or something when I was 20, <laughs> right, there's that. But, um, but my first experience um, was I was doing a film and it was a film about, uh, bizarre film but it, it was about the Beatles and, and and weird influence they'd had and it actually took me through a line into Berlin to there's a, a performer there called Sheila Wolf who runs the kind of cabaret scene there and uh, he he um, he's definitely he and he's married with a kid and um, and it was hilarious again filming at home you know but he's got, got the most amazing cupboard of shoes it was like um, <laughs> Imelda Marcos you know and his daughter was showing me his shoes and going it's not fair because all I've got is a pair of trainers you know and it was like hilarious <laughs> but um, you know I mean, it was quite interesting spending some time over there with him because of course what, what you quickly realise is it wasn't say necessarily a queer thing either and all that kind of stuff whereas the, I think the, the thing that the film can look at you know and is is, is, is can, we live in a polarised time and there's lots of yeah. Yeah. stuff going on people so they don't really understand the issues right so i mean that must be something you're dealing with all the time shardizi you know the 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 perception that um drag is queer or you know it only only done by queer people and you know what's it been like you know uh dealing with all those issues that are going on in society because i i feel like the folk you must feel like the focus is slightly on you and and your community at the moment yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, well, it's quite interesting because I, uh, drag was kind of my step into the queer community. Um, and, you know, I think there's kind of like these expectations of um, just being inclusive across the board. And I think that was like my naivety because um, I've just, you know, dabbled in it. So then when you're kind of like immersed in it, mm. the, you see all the fractures, you see the fact that there's like this perpetual marginalization you see the hierarchy essentially um so yeah so it's like and just also this feeling of just being uh what's the word underestimated mm. i guess and overlooked Overlooked is the word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think constantly. it's overlooked more than underestimated because if anyone sees it, they see it, you know. And then, yeah. Then you're just a performer. I think it's you know, that. But... And I think, you know, I I think I've been quite lucky in my experience because um, I think, you know, I think I was quite 
quickly validated in my drag. Um, so I, and so I can see my privilege in that way. Um, but also what I feel quite a lot of the time is when I walk into a space with queens, I think this kind of happened yesterday um, at like a more corporate event, um, is that everyone flocks and gravitates towards queens um, and because no one understands what I am or what I do, um, like, yeah, people don't want to go and um, take pictures with the queens and, you know, all this stuff and then I just feel like a spare part. So then I feel like I have to do twice as much. I have to go twice as hard during my performance and it's only then that I'll kind of get the validation and recognize, um, recognition that the queens will get from the offset just by existing as a queen. Um, yeah, so... Um, that's that's kind of like what my experience has been like of having consistently having to prove myself, I guess, that I'm on the same level, at least. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then you only you only get the kind of people will only give you that validation once you've had to prove yourself. So it's a it's definitely a different experience than I think queens would have in, in that respect.